You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. Good morning, church family. It's so good to see all of you. I already know I already said that, but I really do believe it. I love seeing every single one of your faces. Um, I think that's what I love about being a part of a, um, a smallish church is that I get to know everybody and I get to see everybody and connect with everybody. And I love seeing you guys connect with one another too. Um, I really, what I really love is, is I heard a story recently, I'll try not to say names just to, to not uh, embarrass anybody, but um, I love the connection that is happening even outside of the church, where men are just texting men and saying, hey, let's pray together, let's go through Bible study together, where women are connecting with each other, where families are connecting with each other, um, it's amazing. And so I'm just proud of you as a pastor, when I hear those kinds of stories, it just warms my pastor heart so much. Um, and so thank you for just loving each other. That's really what it is, for loving each other. Um, speaking of love, uh, raising children is a very humbling experience. Yes, all the parents are amen. Right? If you have kids, then you know this very well. Um, if you don't have kids, then you can probably imagine. Um, maybe you've been humbled by a few children in your life before. Your children will humble you in many different ways. Um, like when they do something they know they're not supposed to and is wrong. And then they look at you like, what are you going to do about it, Dad? You have to resist the urge to annihilate them in that moment, right? Because in your mind, you're thinking, I could easily pick this mini human up and throw them across the room if I wanted to. I could just destroy them right now without even breaking a sweat. Am I the only parent who's being honest right now? No, we've all thought it, okay? Right? But then you remember, oh, wait. I love this little human more than I've loved anybody else in the world. And you're like, I will withhold my wrath. Um, another way that kids humble you is when they ask things like, like, Dad, what's an AU again? Miles asked me this the other day as we were driving to school in the morning, and I froze for a second because I was like, that abbreviation, the AU, that could be anything. Is he talking about the abbreviation for Australia or, or, or something else, right? So I asked, Miles, what do you mean, AU? And he said, you know, like in space. I was like, what? In space. I froze again. Um, in space, what is he talking about? And he's talking, asking me as if I've explained it to him before. And so I, I'm drawing a blank. So um, I do the, the good thing, and, and I play it cool, and I say, well... How about you tell me what you think that means, Miles? And that's a good way to cover up that you have no idea what your kid is asking, um, but it looks like you know the answer and you're just quizzing them. Um, so Miles starts explaining. He says, I think it stands for astronomical unit. And I'm like, oh, yes, that's right, astronomical unit. You're absolutely right, son. Um, but I still don't remember what astronomical unit means in the moment. So I say, and do you remember what astronomical unit means, Miles? 
And so he says, I, I think it has something to do with the sun. I'm still, I'm still scrambling, trying to remember, and I'm so glad that I'm up front, and he's in the back, and he can't see my panicked face, like, I don't know what he's talking about, right? And then it clicks. It finally clicks. I'm like, that's right, the sun, an astronomical unit, and I start explaining, explaining is the distance from the sun to another object in space. Um, and Miles says, oh, yeah, I remember now. Thanks, Dad. And I'm like, you got it, son. I'm here for you. Uh, that's a humbling experience. Or when your kids ask you the meaning of sometimes simple words, but also complex words, and you start giving a definition, and then they don't even know what the words in the definition mean. And you're trying to explain it, and you just can't do it, and it causes more confusion than clarity. Have any other parents been there before? Like, if my kids ask me the meaning of a certain Bible or theological term, I'm like, how do I explain penal substitution to a five-year-old? How do I explain in simple words forgiveness? It's a, it's a humbling experience. Um, I'll be honest, sometimes if I'm being lazy and I don't want to try and explain a really complex word, I will purposely use really big words I know they won't understand so that they lose interest and they're like, eh, I, won't, I, I don't care anymore, Dad. Um, I'll ask when I'm eight or something. And so, by the way, please feel free to use any of these parenting skills that I am imparting to you today, all right? I live to serve you. Um, so trying to explain and give definitions to complex things can be difficult. And sometimes in your explanation, you can cause more confusion than clarity. Um, and I feel like maybe that was a little bit of the case last Sunday when I tried to define and explain deconstruction. Okay, we started our new series last week called Reconstruct. Deconstruction is a buzzword in the world right now, especially in the church. And so I, I wanted to first explain what deconstruction is in order to better understand what reconstruction looks like. Um, but I feel like I didn't do the best job explaining and defining what is deconstruction. Um, my approach, I, I think, to defining deconstruction was way too broad and general rather than narrow and specific. And I feel like maybe for some, I may have caused more confusion than clarity. And so I want to fix that. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to narrow our focus of deconstruction and reconstruction um, to give a better, more specific definition as it relates to faith. Faith. Now, I don't think anything I said last week was wrong or should be thrown out. I think it was all valid. Um, I just don't think it was enough, okay? Um, and sometimes when you're trying to explain something complex like deconstruction or reconstruction, um, it's better to, to paint a picture and explain in a very specific context. And so that's what I'm going to do this morning. Um, that's what I, I'm going to attempt to do today. Um, we're still trying to answer the question, what is deconstruction? But the title of today's message is The Path of Deconstruction. And we're going to paint that picture of what that looks like. Amen? We're all clear with where we're going? All right, let's pray and ask God to lead us and guide us this morning. God, we thank you that you're already leading and guiding us. You've been doing that through worship, the words that we've been singing. 
And we've been saying amen to align our hearts with, with you, God. And we just ask that you would continue to do that as we look at your, your word, as we look at the world and things that are happening around us, and as we look at your bride, the church, and the things that are happening within your body. God, our, our heart is that we would be whole, is that we would be healthy. We want to be the best representation of you as possible. And so, God, would you just search our hearts this morning? Would you reveal anything in our hearts that maybe is out of line with you, your truth, your word? And would you gently correct us and bring us back on course? So, God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place and what you're going to do. We say these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. This is a note-taking sermon, okay? And so if you have your phone or a tablet or a piece of paper in front of you, um, get a pen. Uh, maybe you don't want to write everything down that you see on the screen. Get your phone out and take pictures as we go along so you can look back at them later. All right, so um, we're continuing. What is deconstruction? Um, we know that the world right now is, is um, I mean, it's always been this way, but it seems a little bit more. They're, they're coming against a lot of our Christian values and beliefs. And they're saying that's wrong. You guys shouldn't be doing that or saying that. And so there's this massive deconstruction happening in the world, but also in the church. And so we want to understand what this means. Not just in a general or a broad sense, but as it relates to faith. What is faith deconstruction? All right. Well, um, Annette and I, we've lived in six different houses since we've been married. So six houses in the last almost 11 years. Now, that might seem like a lot to some of you, but I know some of you have moved around way more than we have. Um, but every time we move, uh, we take inventory of the pieces of furniture that we have in our house. Um, I think Annette bought these. I think there were four of them. They were like a dollar each at a yard sale. Um, and this really fits like her aesthetic, and she thought maybe this could fit in our house. Um, and we were like, no, it's not going to fit in our house. Um, but what we do when we move is, is we take inventory of the pieces of our furniture, and we try to decide, do we still need them? Um, why do we have these pieces of furniture? Are they still useful and necessary to us? Will they fit in our new house, or are they just going to take up useful space? Do we need to uh, get new pieces of furniture that better fit our new space? Has anybody else been through that, like in a moving phase? Yeah. Well, like I talked about last week with my Lego illustration, yes, we had Legos on Sunday. It was awesome. Um, like I said last week, our faith is made up of many different pieces, right? The Bible, prayer, worship, church, community, certain beliefs and doctrines and, and traditions, they're all pieces of our faith. And faith deconstruction is a lot like what happens when Annette and I move houses and we're trying to decide what to do with our furniture that's in our house. And so faith deconstruction is, let's throw up the definition. Faith deconstruction is taking inventory of the pieces of your faith and asking, what do I do with these? Are they still necessary and useful? Are they true and right? Do they have authority in my life? Do they draw me closer to God and help me fulfill his purposes for my life? This right here is our working definition for the rest of the series, all right? And so if you want, take a moment, take a picture of this, write it down. 
But this is what we'll come back to time and time again. Right? Faith deconstruction is taking inventory of the pieces of our faith and asking really good questions about them. Right? Or this is the way um, King David portrayed deconstruction in Psalm chapter 139, verses 23 and 24. He said this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is deconstruction, essentially. And listen, this is good and necessary. It is a good and necessary process that every believer should go through, not just once, but several times throughout their life in order to mature, grow, and strengthen your faith. Okay, and listen, deconstruction might be this new buzzword that's going around right now, but the process is not new. Christians have been going through this process and taking inventory of their faith since the very beginning. And that's in part because the, the world the, uh, to outside faith, right, that is often contrary to our faith, has constantly been challenging and trying to influence Christian faith views and values since the beginning. Right? And any time someone outside, some outside voice challenges your views and beliefs, it shouldn't cause you to stop up your ears and go, la, 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 I can't hear you. No, instead, it should cause you to assess, evaluate what you really believe and why you believe it. Right? Search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. That's the healthy and the mature thing to do when your faith is challenged. Right? Before this process was called deconstruction, I remember it being called making your faith your own. Maybe you've heard that before. And I think the, for the majority of people, when they first come to faith in Jesus, whether that's a, as a kid being raised in a Christian home or when you're older, um, most new believers, they, they kind of accept just being told what to believe. Right? God is God. Jesus is his son. The Bible is where we learn about faith. Attending church is one way that we worship God and grow in our faith. Right? These are all things that, that young in the faith people typically just accept as true. And when you think about it, this is how learning and growing in knowledge happens all the time. Right? Think about it this way. During uh, the early elementary grade levels, right, kids are mostly presented with what? Facts. Right? Just the facts. Right? This is the way the world is. Right? And children are tested on whether or not they can retain and repeat that this is the way the world is. Then as they progress in knowledge and grade levels, good teachers will then encourage children to not just know the facts, but to also ask why they are the facts. Right? This is the way the world is, but why? Right, they then learn to explore and ask questions and do experiments. And, and so children are tested then not just on whether or not they can retain and repeat the facts, but they can also understand and explain why they are the facts. Right, this is a square. Kids can identify it, but do they know why? Right, it's a square because it has four equal sides. Um, this is, or the sky is blue, but why? 
right? Because of the way the light reflect, ref, refracts and reflects and enters your eye and translates in, in your brains. Right? So this process of, of growing in your faith should essentially be the same. Right? These are the facts of faith. Right? Then, as you grow, this is why the facts of faith are the facts of faith. And good Bible teachers, good spiritual leaders, mentors, disciples, they will encourage that you ask questions so that a person's faith isn't just inherited, but internalized. Right? So, so that a person is given the chance to make their faith their own. Or this is the way the author of Hebrews says it in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Maturity. Right? And, and many of you have probably been through this process I'm talking about. Right? I went through that process many times. I was raised in a Christian home. I decided to follow Jesus when I was nine years old. I knew the facts of faith pretty well. And then I started going to youth group, and, and our youth group leaders encouraged us to ask questions. The questions our parents didn't want us asking, but we asked them anyways. Right? They encouraged us to not just believe what our parents told us to believe, but to really make our faith our own. And so I decided to follow Jesus when I was nine, yes, but I didn't really understand what that meant until I was a, in junior high and started asking the questions. Why is the Bible authoritative and inspired by God? How can there be three persons in the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, but only one God? What is this heaven and hell all about? Why is there suffering and evil in the world? Why do some of my views and understandings of faith not fall in line with what I see happening in the world and in my personal experiences? And so then, when I went to high school and college, my faith was challenged by an outside worldview that was radically different than mine. And I had to go through that process of asking questions again and making my faith my own again. And then, when I was living on my own and married and started having kids, my faith was challenged again. Specifically, I remember being challenged with the topic of what it means to love God and have a relationship with him. As a kid, I was always told that we should love God, but I started to question and ask, do I really love God? I believe God was real. I believe that Jesus was my savior, but did I really love him? That's a challenging thing to think about. And so several times throughout my life, I've had to make my faith my own, or I've had to take inventory of the pieces of my faith and ask, why do I have these? Are they still necessary and useful? Are they true and right? Do they have authority in my life? Do they draw me closer to God and help me fulfill his purposes for my life? Right? I call that making my faith my own. Today, it's called deconstruction. Okay, this is something that every follower of Jesus should go through, not just once in their life, but many times in order to mature grow and strengthen their faith. You following me so far? And so with that understanding and that image of, of what is faith deconstruction, listen, I don't have a problem with deconstruction, right? We as the church shouldn't have a problem with people deconstructing their faith and, and Christians making their faith their own. We should encourage that, right? 
Christians have been going through this process since the beginning. It's not new. And so I don't have a problem even with the world challenging our faith and telling us that what we're doing is wrong. That's been happening since the beginning too. We just got to get used to it. And so my concern is not with faith deconstruction or opposition to our faith. My concern with what's happening right now is actually with how some Christians are reconstructing their faith. Now hear me right. Hear me again. My concern is not with deconstruction or reconstruction. Deconstruction needs to happen and reconstruction needs to happen. Because as I've said before a few times already, deconstruction without reconstruction is just destruction. So this leads to another question maybe. And it was actually asked in one of the, the note cards that you guys submitted. Where does deconstruction end and reconstruction begin? Well, this is it. All right, deconstruction ends and reconstruction begins when you start asserting your beliefs and coming to conclusions on those inventory questions we're asking. Right, when you start to accept answers to why do I have these pieces of my faith? Are they still necessary and useful? Are they true and right? Do they have authority in my life? Do they draw me closer to God and help me fulfill his purposes in my life? Right, that's when reconstruction begins. And again, just like deconstruction, reconstruction is necessary because if you just deconstruct until you have nothing left and you stay there, then what do you have to stand on and guide you through this difficult life? Right, Psalm chapter 11, verse 3, it says this, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Right, beliefs and values are important. I heard psychologist Jordan Peterson once say, uh, an amazing line. He said, we don't just seek happiness in life. We seek meaning that's deep enough to sustain us through tragedy. How true is that? Right? And beliefs and values, and I believe biblical ones, are what help sustain us through good times and bad times in life. And so again, my concern isn't with deconstruction. It isn't with the way the world is challenging our views and our values. It isn't even with the process of reconstruction. My concern is with how, right, how some Christians are reconstructing. My concern is with what um, some rely on and depend upon to reconstruct and answer these faith inventory questions. Because so many Christians are relying on the world to answer those questions rather than trusting in God and in the method that he's chosen to communicate with us, which is the Bible, Scripture. I remember our, our, our theme verse for the series. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's what we want. Now let me just clarify some things. What do I mean when I say the world? Okay, I don't mean the natural world. I don't mean the earth, right, planet earth, uh, because God created the natural world. And I believe the natural world points to God's existence as its creator rather than away from God. Right, there is a really good marriage between the sciences and the natural world and faith. Okay, we'll talk more about that in another message in the series, something to look forward to. All right, so what do I mean then when I say the world? 
Well, that phrase, the world, is used throughout the Bible to actually mean a few different things. Um, it can mean the cosmos. I love that word, cosmos. Um, it can mean the planet Earth. It can mean the total of mankind or the total of human existence in this present life with all of its experience, possessions, and emotions. Right? Those are all meanings of that word, the, the world. But a final meaning is this. It's the world order which is alienated from God in rebellion against him and condemned by nature and by godless deeds. And that's what I mean when I say the world. And that some Christians are turning to and relying on the world on that to reconstruct their faith. And so why is this concerning? Well, if that definition wasn't enough for you, how about this? The world and its worldview are rooted in human understanding and perception. Right now, I don't know if you know this, um, but humans are finite. Shocking. Humans are limited, right? We're, we're limited beings who have finite, limited understanding and perspective of all things. And humans are also imperfect. What, Pastor Kai? Yes. This means that if we try to reconstruct and answer these faith inventory questions we're talking about, right? And let me add this. Faith is not something that comes from within you. It doesn't come from the world. It only comes from God. Okay, And so trying to, to reconstruct according to finite, limited, and imperfect human understanding and perception, right? and then our answers to those questions will be finite, limited, and imperfect too if we go that route. Does that make sense? And so when it comes to answering these massive questions of faith, we need something greater than and outside of ourselves that has infinite, unlimited, and perfect understanding and perception. We need God and his word. We need God and his word. But many Christians are reconstructing with things that are less than God. Many are deconstructing and then asking, not what does the word of God say about these faith questions I have, but what does the world say about these faith questions I have? Right? They're asking not what does infinite and perfect God say, but rather what does finite and imperfect humanity have to say. Instead of search me God, it's search me world. And this is a fruitless endeavor because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, he says, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So you want to understand the word? You can't go to the world. It chokes it. And so if you want to, to better understand faith, if you want to better understand who God is, what he's done, what he says about you and how we're supposed to live, it makes zero sense to go to someone or something other than God for that understanding. Doesn't make sense to me. And I know what some might be thinking. Right? Aren't we going to someone or something other than God if we go to the Bible? Right? Well, if your view of the Bible is that it is purely man-made, then yes, you're absolutely right. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment. 
But if you believe that the Bible is the word of God, inspired by God, so that we can better know who he is, what he's done, what he says about you, and how we're supposed to live, then you're not going to some secondhand source. You're going to God. Right? The Bible, the Old Testament scriptures. Let me back up a little bit. Let me say this. Um, let's talk about what if you don't believe that the Bible is the word of God, that it's inspired by God. What, what if that is your struggle of faith right now? And I know for many believers that is their struggle, right? How can the Bible be trusted and accurate and authoritative? Well, we're going to get into more details on Scripture and another message in the series, another thing to look forward to. Um, but for right now, this is what I'm going to say. What other source is there to go to to understand God, who he is, what he's done, what he says about you, and how we should live? Think about that for a moment, right? The Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures are the best and most complete and most consistent source that we have today to know and understand God. Even if you think it's flawed, it's still better than any other source. And the Christian faith, and I know this is a big statement, is inseparable from the Christian Bible. You cannot see them separate. They have to go together. We might think, well, what about people who come to faith in Christ without ever reading the Bible? You know what? That's miraculous. And that happens. I know, I've heard stories where they had no concept of Jesus. They have a dream. They meet Jesus. And they're like, I believe in Jesus now. That's miraculous. It happens. Right? And if those people have had a true encounter with Jesus, and they want to know more about him, and they come to you and say, how do I know more about Jesus? Where are you going to point to them? The Bible, right? The Bible. There's no other way to grow in your faith and understanding of God. Okay, but let's play. Let's play the what if game. All right? We okay so far? All right. Let's play the what if game. What if the Bible isn't inspired by God? What if it is just secondhand source written by men about God? Okay, well, let me ask you this. Don't we often depend on secondhand sources to understand and make judgments on many other subjects in the world? Of course we do. We do this all the time. How many times have you gotten to know someone through Facebook, right? And most of what you see on Facebook probably isn't true. They don't wake up that pretty every single morning, right? How many times have you been satisfied with someone else's experience or eyewitness account of someone or something, and then you made judgments and decisions based on that secondhand source? We do this all of the time. Why do we treat the Bible any differently? Why? But what makes the Bible different, I'll tell you, and better than other forms of media is its consistency. Right, the character of God is the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. Now, his actions and his interactions with people might be different and change from one testament to the next, but his character overall does not change. And this consistency of God's character isn't just across words and, and chapters and books and testaments. This consistency of God's character is across thousands of years written by many people over those thousands of years. Listen, no other media on earth 
is as consistent and as consistently mass-produced as the Bible. And that is worth something. We should take note of that. We'll talk more about it, but, you know, some of these history books that we read, we only have one copy of, one source. And we say, well, this is true. We have way more copies of Scripture than we do any other ancient source. And we're like, I don't know about that one. Right? And so reconstruction of faith, trying to understand who God is, what he's done, what he says about you and how you should live based on the world, based on finite imperfect, limited human understanding and perception, I think is foolish. And it makes no sense. But many Christians are reconstructing their faith this way. And it's a world-influenced reconstruction like we talked about last week. And instead of using biblical thoughts to think about the world, they're using worldly thoughts to think about the Bible and God. But remember, remember what James says about this. In James chapter 4, verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't go to the world to understand God. It doesn't work. And not only is this, this idea leading Christians to reconstruct their faith to look like something that isn't quite Christian and doesn't look like the Bible, to be frank. This path of deconstruction and reconstruction is leading most to destruction or deconversion altogether. And so what you see happening on social media, YouTube, uh, the headlines, what you see happening right now of people deconstructing and advocating for deconstruction is actually a demonic cover for deconversion. It's an attempt of the enemy to cause those who are, are hurting and struggling and doubting to just abandon their faith altogether. And their path of deconstruction doesn't look like a word of God-based deconstruction and reconstruction. It looks like something totally different. So what I want to do is I want to share with you this path of deconstruction that we're seeing in the church right now. And it's six steps, all right? And as we go through these steps, I want you to think, man, where am I if I am on this journey? Or do I know somebody who is on this journey? I'm going to be honest right away. This, is, this might be uh, triggering. Maybe that's the word to use. Um, because you might see some loved ones and friends in what I'm about to explain. And it's going to hurt a little bit. Okay, but we, we need to go through this. All right, so this is what that path looks like. I got this from a pastor um, in Texas. Um, and when I read it, I was like, this is spot on. You ready? Step one, a Christian becomes disillusioned with the things of the Lord. Often because of church hypocrisy and church hurt, like we talked about last week. And so for one reason or another, they're no longer interested in prayer, spiritual disciplines, or gathering with the local church. It feels pointless and unimportant to them. Okay, that's step one. Step two is they become defensive about their disillusionment. They begin to justify themselves to others, and they become more cynical and critical towards Christians, the church, or God. That's step two. Step three, they begin to distance themselves from the local church. They cut ties. They build walls. They even reject those 
people they, they called friends who reach out to them or try to show any kind of concern or care for them in their spiritual well-being. Right, step one, two, three. Here's step four. They start doubting even more the truth of Scripture. Instead of allowing Scripture to be the highest authority in their life, now their experience becomes uh, the, the governing thing in their life, in their thoughts, informing their worldview. That's step four. Step five, they depart from orthodox Christianity. Right, with the Bible no longer their source of truth, they begin to incorporate ideologies from other religions, philosophies, and ideologies, rejecting basic beliefs that the majority of Christians have held for 2,000 years. Finally, step six, they deny their faith altogether. They're no longer deconstructing at that point. They have officially deconverted and no longer claim faith in Jesus. If you took notes on these, one through three, that's one category. Steps one through three, that is deconstruction. And I think that's okay. And it can be healthy. But once someone crosses over into steps four through six, they are no longer deconstructing, but they're on their way to at the least world-influenced reconstruction and at the worst world-influenced deconversion. And so with this, the question that we need to ask is, are you or someone you know on the path of healthy deconstruction or on the path of deconversion? And maybe a better question is to ask, how do we stop before we get too far down that road? Let me share some thoughts with you. If, if you realize that maybe you're on the path of deconstruction, the, the biggest thing I could say is don't deconstruct away from Christian community and the church. I'm going to say it again. Don't deconstruct away from Christian community and the church. Now, if you find yourself in the process of deconstruction because of church hypocrisy or church hurt, I'm not saying go back to that church. No, it's time to find a new church to go to. And this might take some time, it might take some church hopping until you find the right one, but you can't heal from church away from church. You have to engage the church in order to heal. And this is secular psychology talking right now. Right? This is something psychologists practice with their clients all the time. Right? The answer to getting over your fears isn't running away from them, but engaging them. The answer to healing from abuse and trauma isn't to ignore it, but to confront it in a safe environment. And the best place to heal from church is to engage in a healthy church or a healthy community of believers. So the next question, what is a healthy church or community of believers? Well, a few points on that. It's one that holds a high view of scripture. Holds a high view of scripture meaning that they believe that the Bible is the word of God, inspired by God, and useful for navigating through the good and bad times of life. A healthy church, a community of believers is one that encourages you to ask questions, welcomes it, right, and then looks to the Bible and other biblically sound sources to answer those questions. Right? In a healthy church, when you ask questions, they won't shut you down, push you away, question your faith, or point you to the world or other unbiblical sources. 
A healthy church, a community of believers, is also one that tries to live out their faith and according to what they read in Scripture. Right? They encourage spiritual disciplines like worship, prayer, Scripture reading, and study. They encourage service to those around them, using their resources to make a difference in the world. A healthy church or community of believers is also one that acknowledges its flaws and abuses and works towards forgiveness and reconciliation. We don't see enough of this last one in the church. I bet you that we would see way less deconversion in the church if churches and spiritual leaders made a greater effort to acknowledge their flaws and abuses and then work towards forgiveness and reconciliation. I mean, if I was hurt by the church or by someone in the church and they came up to me and said, hey, that was wrong and hurtful, and then they wanted to work towards forgiveness and reconciliation, I would think twice about leaving, right? And so if, you, if you're going through deconstruction, my biggest thing, don't go through it away from the church. Find a healthy church to get connected with, to heal. Another question you might be thinking, and it was actually asked on one of the index cards last week, how do we walk with friends and family who are deconstructing or even moving towards deconversion? Or how do we do that? And I would say this. First, if they won't be a part of a healthy community of believers, or if they won't come to a healthy church, then you be the healthy community. You be the healthy church to them. Everything we just talked about, you be it. You do it. And then I would add, continually pray for them. Continually. And in your prayers, ask the Holy Spirit to do his job. To do what only he can do and is best at in a person's life. And that is to convict them. To teach them, guide them to all truth, to help them, to heal them, and to counsel them through this process. In your prayers, also ask God to give you greater love and grace and mercy and patience for them. Listen, what they are going through is not easy or painless for them or for you as a friend or loved one who's trying to walk with them. But listen, casting judgment, getting angry with, being forceful, argumentative, or combative with them will not help, but it will only exacerbate their and your frustrations. Right? But that love, grace, mercy, patience that you're praying for, that's going to ensure that you have access to them, that they don't just cut you off. Right? That will ensure that you st you're still a source of God's truth and light in their life. And then the last bit of advice I would give is ask them questions and be a good listener. Don't ask them, well, have you thought about this? Have you read this book? What do you think about this? That's just you trying to make a point, okay? Instead, ask questions about how they got to where they are. And just listen, right? If, if things like wounding or, or church hurt comes up, don't dismiss it, right? But meet them in their wounding, all right, ask questions some more. Ask how you can bless and serve them. Then, if and only if they ask for your input after all of that, 
Then give your biblical input and godly wisdom. Well, what about taking a stand for what's true and what's right and what we believe? I am all for that. But I am all for that with people who want to receive what I am giving them. And this isn't just me talking. Jesus modeled this. He told his disciples, if a city rejects you, dust them off and move on to the next one. Do not waste your words of wisdom on people who don't want it. And that's hard for us to do because I think we have savior complexes. I don't want to waste valuable words and wisdom on people who don't want it. And chances are they've already heard what you have to say. But they want to hear it from people who show them love, grace, mercy, patience, respect. Not from people who are trying to bash them over the head with the word of God. Okay, well, what about this? What if they never ask you for your input? How about this? Ask them if you can give your input. <laughs> That's totally okay. Just ask them. Right? You can say, hey, I I've heard and I've listened to you share your thoughts. I've asked my questions and I, I feel like I'm, I'm showing you love and respect. If you don't feel that way, then let's get to that point. But can I share my thoughts with you now? And if they say no, that's good because they're showing you not to waste your time with them. If they say yes, all the better, all the better. Is that helpful? I hope that answered some of the questions that you submitted on the index cards last week. And I, I would encourage you to, to do the same thing. You'll see some index cards in the seat backs behind you. Um, if anything I've talked about today stirs up more questions, um, you heard we're going to talk about science. We, we're going to talk about scripture. If you have more questions about those, write them down. And you can s slip them in the offering box, okay? Um, someone uh, last week um, asked on an index card. There's actually two index cards. Uh, kind of com combined together, um, similar uh, strain of thought. And their question was, where's the grace in your message? Where's the grace in your message? As if I'm assuming that there was no grace. Okay, let me, let me just say this. I hope this message answers that question for you today too. Right, sharing the word of God, the love of Jesus, taking a stand on those things, praying for those who are deconstruct, deconstructing, moving towards deconversion, and then waiting patiently for the invitation to point them back to God, back to Jesus and nothing else, that is the greatest grace you can show somebody. Because God and Jesus are the greatest grace that any one of us have ever received. So why would we offer them something else? Okay, there's a difference between grace and tolerance. They're not the same thing. There's a difference between grace and coexistence. That's a, that, they're different things. The greatest grace we can show somebody is pointing them back to Jesus every single time. And so to wrap up and review, deconstruction. Is taking inventory of the pieces of your faith and asking, why do I have these? Why do I have these? Are they still necessary and useful? Are they true and right? Do they have authority in my life? Do they draw me closer to God and help me fulfill his purposes for my life? All right, and listen, this is something that every believer, every follower of Jesus should go through on more than one occasion so that they can mature, grow, and strengthen their faith. Reconstruction is also necessary. 
Because deconstruction without reconstruction is just destruction. You're going to get tired of me saying that. And if you deconstruct to nothing and stay there, what's going to guide you throughout this oftentimes difficult life? Right? But what are you trying and relying on to reconstruct your faith? The best place to turn to and answer these big questions about faith, about who God is, what he's done, what he says about you, how we're supposed to live, the only place to turn to is God and his word, not the world, not the world. And so, Stephanie, you can come on up. And so, are you or someone you know on the path of God-influenced deconstruction and reconstruction? Or on the path of world-influenced reconstruction and really deconversion? John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then our theme verse again, Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Can I pray for you? Let's bow our heads. And let's just enter into a time of reflection. You know, we'll, we'll jump to the questions right now, actually. Go ahead and throw those up on the screen. If you like, you can take a picture of these questions. And what I'd love for you to do is maybe you just pick one right now. And you kind of focus on it as we reflect on this message. All right, when is the last time you took inventory of the pieces of your faith and asked good questions about them? When's the last time you did that? Number two, when you have questions about faith, where or to whom do you typically turn to? Number three, what do you think a healthy church or healthy Christian community looks like? Just pick one of those questions. And, and right here in this space, um, just reflect and ask God. Ask God, search my heart, oh God. Search my heart. Let's just take a moment. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.